0: Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsh and this is episode 65 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a great week out there. Uh, I'm really excited about this week's episode. Uh, This week's guest is the return of James Rodriguez. James was like the first guest that I had on the show who wasn't somebody that I already knew. That was somebody new to me. And he brought, the first time he was on the show, he brought a fantastic movie, Taika Waititi's Boy, which I had not heard of, I had not seen, and we ended up having just a wonderful conversation about it. So I I got really excited when he decided he wanted to come back on the show, and he picked an equally surprising movie for me. Uh, this time it is uh, 2014's Wild Tales, a- another movie I had not really heard about uh, and definitely had not seen. Uh, and we end up having an- another fantastic conversation about this. Uh, it is a foreign film, which is an aspect that we do talk about. We talk about, um, you know, what something we've talked about on the show before about the barrier that that subtitle creates for some people. Uh, we also talk about different translations because. Based on our region, we apparently got different uh subtitles uh for some of the lines. So it's a great conversation. James is a great fellow to chat with, and I I can't wait to see what he brings to the show next because he's he's 2-0 right now as far as just winter movies that I'm had not seen before he came on the show, and I'm really glad I've seen now. So here we go with 2014's Wild Tales. So uh the last time we got a chance to talk the world was in very different shape um how have you been doing
1: well just like anyone else trying to survive i mean the uk especially hasn't had a good time we got into lockdown too late then left it too early now we're in another one which is gonna last a month and then hopefully it'll be all right till christmas but everyone thinks after Christmas, it'll be another one. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> yeah, I, I
0: understand that. Uh, you know, being being in another country that, uh, as you put it, got into it too late and left it too early and seems very reluctant to get back into another one. <laughs> how, how have you personally been doing? Like, it, has it impacted
1: you directly? Everything all right there? Well, I mean... Thankfully, nobody I know nobody I'm close to has been impacted by this other than oh can't go to restaurants, can't go to cinema, but you know first world problems but i mean right. <laughs> but I mean in some level i'm a little i'm thankful it's not been worse thus far, and I do feel for the people who are in much dire circumstances than than I am right now and it's a scary world, so, you know, no wonder I've been losing myself in films to escape it a little bit.
0: Yeah, and that was going to be my next question is, what have you been watching to get through this? I mean, has this impacted how you watch stuff? Um, you know,
1: what's what's been drawing your attention? Well, over the past few months, I've been doing a few virtual film festivals because... Oh, nice. Yeah, so I don't have to travel two hours on the train. I don't have to stump up for a hotel for a couple nights. It's a lot easier on my bank balance. Not so good. <laughs> not so good on my eyes. I mean, I'm probably going to be worse by the end of this than I was before, and I already wear pretty thick glasses. But <laughs> I,
0: I just got new glasses, so I,
1: I totally relate to that. <laughs> But other than that, I've been making my way through David Lynch stuff, and I've been trying to balance it out with a bit of Pokemon and Digimon films. So, <laughs> I think Lynch would appreciate the dichotomy of that. <laughs> it's just my me trying to further expand my film taste, trying to delve further into Lynch, while also going over old nostalgia and seeing whether... A lot of it still holds up. And to me, Pokemon and Digimon calls back to a much simpler time, and I get a lot of enjoyment out of revisiting these characters and seeing these familiar places.
0: Gotcha. So I'm gonna move on the Lynch side rather than the Pokemon
1: side. Um That's fair. are are you a Lynch fan? Is it is it something that appeals to you? Before this, I I had watched a razor head in like 2014, and I just my reaction was, what the hell did I just watch? And I just <laughs> <laughs> left it for years. I didn't want to think about it. I knew if I went back into it, I just, maybe I'd get more out of it, but I was so reticent to try it. And mm-hmm. as of late, I've been powering through his stuff. I've been making my way through Twin Peaks. It's it. The more I unpack of his stuff, the more I seem to really love how, even if it's just weird, but how it just nestles its way into my brain and I'm constantly thinking about what it all means, how it all works, and how I think it could work more on a second viewing. And I just,
0: I really love that. I have not gotten into Twin Peaks yet. It's like next on Mm. my viewing list. I need to finish a couple of series and then uh, that's I'm going to dive into that one. But my experience with Lynch in film has been a really challenging one because my, my introduction to him was wild at heart, which I really didn't like, like I thought it was just too freaking weird in places. Mm. And I felt like when it loosely and lightly was doing kind of wizard of Oz, a wizard of Oz riff that worked for me, but then he gets kind of heavy handed with that later in the film. And then my the next one of his movies that I watched was Blue Velvet. And mm. a, again, I kind of felt like he got so heavy handed with trying to make sure that the audience understood the symbolism that he was trying to push, that it, it
1: wasn't fun for me. I didn't enjoy it. No, that's fair enough. I mean, for I can only speak to my experience in that as, right. after I was so... I don't know what to make of this with Eraserhead, I went and tried here, The Elephant Man, which has lynching touches, but feels like a very approachable work. Right. And then, for some reason, I went to Mulholland Drive, which is full-on... <laughs> full-on into lynch. Lynch, Lynchian, <laughs> Yeah, full-on lynch. <laughs> and I seemed to dug that, so I tiptoed my way back into Eraserhead, and then just... <sighs> just trying little by little so maybe it's a what what could be needed is a like a process of escalation so maybe some of his more welcoming stuff like the elephant man and I hear that I haven't tried the straight story but I hear that's his most unlynchian film if there is such a thing well, I, like I don't even think of the Elephant Man as a David Lynch film, so I mean, yeah, I,
0: as you said, it has it has kind of those Lynchian undertones to it, but I, I, I don't. I mean, I just recently watched um, Bottle Rocket, which is Wes Anderson's first movie, and. Like, you can see a little bit of the DNA in there for of Anderson and where his career would go, but mm. otherwise it's a pretty straightforward film. And I kind of feel that way about The Elephant Man, is it's a pretty straightforward film with some Lynchian undertones to it.
1: Mm, but could it not be a film where you see where his career's going to go, even in the smallest bits? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean
0: and that's oh. that's what I mean by those Lynchian overtones, undertones. Oh, okay. Is it's, it, yeah, I mean it's I, it's just it's more of a mainstream focused movie. I I think, in my opinion, it's been a long time since I've seen it. So <laughs> I guess that really is my introduction to Lynch. Because I again, I don't even really regard that as a David Lynch movie. And I guess that's my
1: shortcoming. <laughs> well, we each have our own things we're like that about. Um it's just how you it's just you being you yeah
0: all, all right so i'll let you talk on the pokemon side as well oh. um <laughs> what do you want to know so do you are you talking about the movies or the tv show or like and 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 i got to know do you alternate between lynch and pokemon do you go through little <laughs>
1: waves of each <laughs> honestly it's not a conscious thing it's just been Me going, oh, I want to try this Lynch film. And then later on, I think, well, I have a Pokemon films only, what, 70 minutes. So it's just like, oh, I have a little bit of time and let's try the next Pokemon film. It's just a way (laughs) of slotting in. But I don't really go for the anime because it's appealed to me when I was a young kid. And it's as the games have evolved, the series the TV show hasn't really, it's still appealing to the kids and it's great to introduce new generations to this thing I loved that was so pivotal for me and forming friends and helping me when I moved. But it's it's not really something I can go back to because it's just frustrating seeing the characters go through the same boneheaded decisions every episode and not realising that the talking cat with the blue-headed guy and the woman with the massive red hair that curls at the back. Not realizing they are just dressed up in bad nurses' uniforms or whatever. <laughs> with no- nothing to cover up the hair, by the way. Right, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've never gotten into Pokemon. My My son has gotten into it here and there. Uh, so other than detective Pikachu, I've never Hmm. seen a Pokemon movie, so I can't, I can't say much on that front.
1: (laughs) No, that's fair. I do wonder if it, it was just right time, right place. And it's just something I latched onto, but it's endured because it's been the basis for many of my lasting friendships, which still go to this day. And I still really enjoy the games and me and my mates, well, before all this happened we used to go out every month on pokemon go doing the community days and it was just a lovely opportunity to go out for a few hours go for a meal afterwards and just share share bits of our lives with one another great right. now no that is nice that's really mm. nice
0: all right well let's let's get to this week's movie because You picked a doozy, and uh, there's a lot to talk about here. But Well, actually, before we get into this week's movie, Mm -hmm. because I never asked you this, because I didn't ask this question the last time you were on the show, Uh, the podcast is called Have Not Seen This. We talk about movies we're surprised other people have not seen. What are your Have Not Seen This movies? What are movies you have not seen that people give you a hard time about?
1: To be honest, the more I look back and think on stuff I haven't seen, it tends to be the classics, which are really long. Like yes. I haven't seen Ben Hur, I haven't seen The Sound of Music, and I haven't seen Gone with the Wind or Birth of the Nation, but they're films which I'm alright with not seeing because it just seems uncomfortable the way they approach different races, and I'm just happy if I to devote my time to four Pokemon movies instead of one of those. <laughs> I, I Other than
0: Gone with the Wind, which I have seen multiple times, uh, mm. I have not seen any of those movies either, and I've actually gotten harassment about uh, The Sound of Music in particular. So I, 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 you're right. The classics do seem extremely long, and I mean, they're they're brilliant, and you, you watch them and you see the foundation for contemporary filmmaking, but at the same time, they're not always the most entertaining thing to sit through. Um,
1: no, I do like a long film. It's... What, one thing I've heard which really is true is that the hardest thing with start watching a long film is just starting it. Because once you're in there, it flies by if it's the right film. That's, that's a good point. All right. Well, we are not talking about a classic this week. We
0: are talking about a more contemporary film. Uh, for this week, you picked Wild Tales, also known as Relatos Salvajes. Uh, from 2014, written by, written by Herman Servidio and Damien. Boy, I'm going to do terrible on names. Written by Herman Servidio and Damien Zivron, directed by Damien Zivron, starring Dario Granetti, uh, Maria Mariu, Rita Cortez, Julieta Zabelberg, Leonardo Sorobaga. Walter Don, Don-, 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 Don- oh, boy, I'm not even gonna try all <laughs> of these starring a lot of different people uh, because this is six different stories put together.
1: <laughs> you tried you tried I tried
0: I tried uh, so the the first time you came on this podcast, you picked mm-hmm. boy uh, which was a a film I had not heard of I had not seen uh and th- the same was true this time you 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 didn't really maul around what movie you wanted to pick you were like this is
1: the one i want to do <laughs> you but say you didn't- that but <laughs> i had a, I made a list of about 12 different films which i was thinking ooh, which one of these should i go for and i just plumped for this one because it was at the top of the list Well,
0: that's good. That means you'll be coming back on for more movies in the future. (laughs) So I always start with, how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen Mm -hmm. it? Which you did not do with me. You just named the title, which is, I guess, the joy of coming on as a guest (laughs) is you don't have to sell me on seeing the movie because I have to see it regardless. But if if you
1: weren't in that situation, how would you sell me on seeing this movie? I think you had the ideal circumstance because you went in blind and let it all unfold before you. But if I was going to sell this film... To people, um, I would say that it's six tales of. It's an anthology film focusing on six different tales based on one simple topic: revenge. <laughs> is it really about revenge, though? I think, yeah. On some, le- on so- at some point in each of the film, there is a character who who is vying for their own brand of justice, whether they want it to turn out that way or not.
0: See, that's, that's where, uh, I I asked about revenge because you just used the word
1: justice and that's different than revenge. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well, we're not even 20 minutes in and I'm already stumped. (laughs) uh well think about that one what is
0: your history with this movie because i again i had never heard of it until you brought this up okay
1: so it was back in 2000 yeah it must have been 2014 i went to my first film festival and it was there's a film festival about 20 minute drive from me and Mm -hmm. it's been going for this would be its 30th year and so it's been going for a long time before I decided, screw it. Let's buy a ticket and just go see some films. And this was the very first film which I watched out of three in that year. And it was, I liked the sound of the synopsis. I thought, well, I only have a couple of days, so I'll pair this up with another one, which I liked the sound of. So I just remember I was sat there. It was a packed screening and i didn't know what to expect and i just had the best time in a theater full of people who were having such a good time and re- reacting in such a delightful way from the first segment and it was it's a memory i treasure and i man it and it not just that the i went to see it in the theater a second time when it actually came out the following year and I took my girlfriend, who's not one for subtitled films, but she willingly came along to this. She loved it. And there's probably been two more films she's seen in those five years since. But it's a milestone for me. And and actually, that's two moments I treasure surrounding the one film.
0: Mm, that's really nice. So I find interesting, you didn't tell me in advance, and you didn't just mention it on on kind of selling it to people. Uh, this is a foreign film, so it is subtitled.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think um, th- what Bong Juho ho talked about as the one-inch barrier of subtitles,
1: do you think that's a problem with accessibility to film? Now, I understand there are people who have who aren't able to read subtitles on the screen so that is a big problem and a lot of people have to go for films which are dubbed in order to experience them and that is very unfortunate but the people who are fully able to read subtitles uh, I feel there is so much interesting stuff coming from coming from all over the world and it does seem like people are reluctant to try it just because it's subtitled and they seem to it's almost like they approach films as a way of you're looking at the screen you're hearing it but when you have to add reading subtitles onto that it feels like that's too much for them and mm-hmm. it's a shame because it feels like they're missing out on so many good films just because adding on reading onto it just seems like a step too far. Yeah. N- yeah. And
0: this is one of those that would be missed out on. And I got to tell you, um, this is an exquisite movie. Like <laughs> I, I love this film. I, I, and it's one that something I think I find about a lot of foreign films is it's one of those that sticks with you like mm. it leaves you so many things to think about when it's done because a- as you said it is more it is six short films uh assembled together but they they leave you with so much uh um the the themes of these short films the ideas in them you know none of them are open-ended as far as what happened next like that you know how the story begins and ends but but it's the, the the ideas, the concepts, whether it's revenge, whether it's justice. I mean, that's part of why I asked you is because mm. in some cases, I think you could make the argument that it is revenge. And in some cases, I think you could make the argument that it
1: is justice instead. Um, so I, I really dug this film. I'm glad you did. Honestly, I'm surprised we haven't already had rumblings of an English remake about this. Yeah. I And, and I. The, one of the other
0: things that I was... Uh, thinking about with this more so than a remake, because I don't I don't know that America would want to do a a, a remake of an anthology film, hmm. but if this had been done in America, hmm. Zufran would be like the next Spielberg. Like he immediately would have been put up on as many projects as they could attach him to. What's he going to do next? And he puts this out in 2014 and really hasn't done any major films. You know, nothing that has um you, you know like when ang lee did crouching tiger hidden dragon suddenly any film that he did was in the spotlight because it 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 broke that cultural barrier and got everybody impressed and this one i don't know if it's because it didn't break the cultural barrier or what because his filmmaking in this in this movie
1: is incredible but i'm surprised he's not a bigger name no that is right i mean this film was nominated for an Oscar. It was nominated for best what I can't remember what they called it, best, best film. In a, yeah, Boston. Yeah. Yeah, it lost to Ida, which was the we, oh, I can't remember the director's name, the guy who did Cold War, which was a good hit at the Oscars. But um yeah, I wonder if if this film actually won that Oscar if um, if the director would have gone on to bigger things. Because the last thing I heard was that he was attached to uh, a feature adaptation of, oh, The Six Million Dollar Man, I think it was. But Oh, God. But nothing seems to have come of that. And in all that time, that seems to have quietly disappeared. And for some reason, there was people spreading around that the director had died. He hadn't. But for some no. reason, that was a bit of news which was going around and it's a shame that's pretty much what's come about of what we hear of the director in the six years since his film premiered that a fake death story and he's doing this film which we're pushing away to the side
0: yeah which is a shame because boy he is a brilliant filmmaker in these six short films uh so on the critical side this film was really well received it sits at 94 percent at rotten tomatoes Uh, Only 77% at Metacritic, which tends to be more recent stuff, but still. So I always bring in a positive and a negative review. Uh, In this case, the negative review comes from Richard Brody of The New Yorker. And this is one of those reviews that makes me wonder if we watch the same movie. Uh, The Argentinian writer-director Damien Zifrón's dark comedy is composed of six sketch-like variations on themes of anger and revenge. All six mildly Uh, All six feature mildly clever twists that are themselves the point, making any description a spoiler. The premises involve a peculiar airplane voyage, a restaurant where a waitress serves a lifelong enemy, a case of road rage on a desolate highway, a demolition engineer with a grudge against the Motor Vehicles Bureau, a hit-and-run accident caused by wealthy business's son and A Jewish Wedding Where the Bride's Suspicions Lead to Mayhem. Each of the segments involves violence and illustrates the arrogance of the wealthy and powerful, but their moralizing is as facile as the plotting is mechanical. The deliberate pacing is calculated to underline the swerves in the script, which offers little in the way of context or characterization. Sivron's brightly lit theatrics and simplistic attitudes seem borrowed from television commercials. On the other side, The Guardian, uh, Peter Bradshaw, writes... Some airline passengers realize what they have in common. A waitress recognizes a customer from her past. A road rage incident escalates. An engineer feels aggravated at a parking fine. A wealthy man covers up his son's crime. A bride and groom fall out at their wedding. These gripping nightmares have something of Roald Dahl or Quentin Tarantino or Pedro Almodovar, who co-produced the film. They are about one thing, revenge. Writer-director Damien Suffron allows a queasy irony to sink in. The title cards in the opening credits show a series of wild animals. A hawk, a bear, a tiger. The implication is that we are going to see some really wild, bestial stuff. And so we do. But animals aren't interested in revenge. This type of egomaniacal savagery is for humans only. So, first of all, thoughts on either of those reviews?
1: I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. <laughs> uh. I mean, it is what it is. Didn't like it. Uh, all right. Not sure I can do much to help you there. But the idea that his brightly lit theatrics
0: and simplistic attitudes seem borrowed from television commercials. What the hell is that? Like, I i don't think they're all brightly lit for one, especially the the second one that's set at the diner. Uh that that's not brightly lit at all. It ends with one that is more brightly lit, and maybe that's just what he walked away
1: with thinking mm. of that one, but still, I mean the fifth one was quite I found it quite shadowy, yeah, I mean, maybe the commercial things come from commercials. You pretty much have to tell a story to sell a product in thirty seconds, and maybe that has to do with all these stories told in such a short span of time. But I don't know what... No, that's an odd one. <laughs> um, I did take note of the
0: title cards uh, when I was first watching it. That was mm-hmm. one of the things I jotted down, was the, the titles having these predator or prey-type animals put over uh, you know, this whole motif of predator and prey running through the opening credits. But I didn't think about that idea of revenge being a, a human trait rather than an
1: animal trait. No, I suppose that is true. I mean, because when you think an animal's going to take revenge, uh, you tend to think of what a f- video of a cat being an asshole and pushing another cat downstairs or something. <laughs> when it's a human, it's maybe saying something to the person's partner, or maybe it's, it's um posting some embarrassing image on Facebook for all to see. Maybe it's something to impact their job. It seems a bit more calculated and underhanded at times.
0: Yeah. So I I guess the best way to approach this is to kind of talk about each one on its own as kind of a short film. You know, I mean, we've kind of hit on some of the ideas of the whole, but I do want to make sure we give each one kind of its own time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as much as I don't usually like going through a film chronologically, I kind of feel like that's almost the way to do this. So let's start with the opening one that we get before the opening credits even, which is called Pasternak, which is both the critics referred to the airline passengers realizing that they're on kind of an oddball flight.
1: Thoughts on this one? When I saw this, I wrote a review of this and I put on there that the film hits the hi- hits its highest point with the first short, and though the others can't match up, they bloody well try. Really? So this is this your favourite out of the, the ones? It is. I think it's just such a wonderful tale in how how it unfolds in such very interesting ways that when the twist does come about and you realize what's going on, it feels so like my mind exploded and just seeing how it went until the very end. I absolutely loved it. And I was, I rewatched it for this. I was worrying that maybe I won't enjoy it so much, but just for the entire time, I was just like, Oh no, this slaps so hard. This, I shouldn't say that this. I think it's still masterful. If I'm honest, I think it's just, if this was a short film on its own, it would be so bloody wonderful yeah and I, the the development
0: of it is what really enamored me because you we start out following this woman who it turns out is a model and she's having a friendly conversation with the guy across the aisle from her on this airplane uh and over the course of their conversation you realize that he was a he's a he's a music critic who was a judge at her ex-boyfriend's Uh, thesis. Her ex-boyfriend is a musician. And I, I was like, really? That's kind of a really small world that they would meet like this. And then the woman sitting in front of him was his teacher. And I'm like, come on, this is ridiculous. But then as the rest of this short unfolds I was like oh my god this just somehow it like in a snap switches from ridiculousness to absolute brilliance in storytelling
1: right it just everything changes as soon as that name is dropped Gabrielle Pasternak and the music creator just has that brilliant line of if i known I would have told you I was a grave digger right <laughs> somewhat appropriate
0: <laughs> Um, I joked to my my girlfriend that I felt bad. You know, I mean that plane is not sold out. It is not a packed plane, so you have to feel bad for the dude who was just at the last minute buying a ticket and it ended up on this plane.
1: <laughs> oh, oh that. Wa- oh, when you're just so wrapped up in this thing, which is not even to do with you. It's oh my god, that's so tragic.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know that that happened, but
1: you have to kind of assume that with a plane that empty, it probably did. It's just funny that. The last time I was on, I brought you this touching film about a father and son relationship. And in this film, this first segment builds up to a son flying a plane right into his parents.
0: Right. And that's what I was just about to say is one of the things I find particularly brilliant about this one is we cut to the psychiatrist saying, you know, it's not these people's fault. These people didn't wrong you. It's your parents. And we cut to this old couple sitting there watching this plane descend behind them. And it's never explicitly stated that that's who those people are. But an intelligent viewer is going to make that connection. But I love the fact that he does not spell that out for the audience. He requires you to make that connection, which isn't a strenuous connection to make.
1: No, it would seem very odd if after ex- the psychiatrist explicitly says that, he's just flying it into a random pair of people. but Right. Yeah, that's a good point of it's not spelling it out. It's not dumbing it down for the o- treating your audience as though they can't make out the connection themselves. It's, I think the only time it's explicitly stated is in the end credits, where they listed as Pasternak's parents. Right. Right. But I, I love the fact
0: that he, he he puts the trust in the audience to make that connection and he
1: doesn't spell it out. And I just I really I, I really appreciate that. It's oh, quite nice. And um, one thing I did notice is that when the music critic is talking about how he destroyed Pasternak's work, you you see a man in a steward's uniform carrying a tray, just walk past him and go into the cockpit. You don't see anyone else go in there. So it's inferred that's Pasternak making his making his way to enact his plan.
0: Oh my god! Because that's that's the other thing about this one that stood out to me is the the character who's at the center of it we never see. Mm. So the idea that we might get a brief glimpse of him that's see I've only seen this once now I need to go back and watch it again <laughs> which I will. This is definitely a film I'm going it's to revisit. It's a good one,
1: isn't it? Can I ask? Do you get the title card saying each name in the film? No. Oh. oh, when you said it earlier, I thought maybe you did, because we don't in the UK. I had to look on Wikipedia to see what they're actually called.
0: Yeah, and that's that's I had to do the same thing. So, yeah, no, we didn't have any title. I mean, it's said in the end credits, again, it, but it, it's not introduced. And that's actually one of the things I kind of like about it, because... Especially with one or two of these, it's almost an abrupt transition from the end of one story to the other. Mm. That even though, as I said, the stories are very self-contained and you know how they end, they could have gone on a little longer and instead you just start the new story. I mean, we could have picked up in the wreckage of that airline and instead, as the credits end, we move into the the second story, the uh, uh, Las Ratas, which... I again, kind of just one of those really brilliant moves in this film is by putting Pasternak first and having wiped out this concept of coincidence, because as I said, you know, you watch that short and when you first discover these people know the same guy and then his teacher is there, you're like, this is ridiculous. And then suddenly <laughs> it snaps to, oh, no, this is this is developed. This is intentional. When we get into Las Ratas, we have this waitress, and the customer that comes in is a gangster who kind of ruined her life. You know, not intentionally, but the the coincidence factor in that is so much easier to
1: accept because it comes after Pasternak. That is a good point, actually. Huh. Yeah. Oh, you're blowing my mind this episode. <laughs> And,
0: and we established, like, they do, again, because you're working with short films, you, you have that conservation of time. You've got to make use of every second. So, like, he walks in, and she says, party of one, and he says, oh, you're good at math. And it's like, wow, you are setting this guy up from a, as an asshole from the mm. start. But, again, you've got to. You've got to have conservation. So, they get that characterization immediately out there. He's a jerk.
1: That's it. Even if you don't have the backstory of how he ruined this waitress's life and how she caused her father suicide, you'd still get that he's such a rude guy. He's so unrepentant in how much of a dick he can just be to this person (laughs) who's trying to help him. And anyone who's worked in retail or in a restaurant, I suppose, can sympathize to that. Oh yeah, I mean it's this is no I mean it, this is no surprise. He's a
0: he's a jerk from the get-go and then he like chastises her about how she needs to pay attention to her tables uh because he's been trying to get her attention. Meanwhile, she's back in the kitchen
1: conspiring with the cook. The cook hears her story and wants to poison him. I love how it's just she's recounting a story and she's thinking, "Well, I suppose I could write him a letter or something." And the cook's just so blunt like, "Oh, let's just put rat poison in his food."
0: Right. Which leads to one of my favorite moments in this whole film, the conversation about whether the rat poison is expired. (laughs) And does that make the poison worse or better? (laughs)
1: Actually, that is a good point. Does it make it worse or better? Yeah. I mean,
0: it's... So, one of the things I find really... And this is where I was was asking you about revenge, is Mm. I don't feel like this short is about revenge because the woman... The waitress, who has been wronged, who should be seeking the revenge, isn't. She doesn't want to poison the guy. And when the poison doesn't work and the cook stabs the guy, she's not a part of that. She's, she's on the ground at that point.
1: No, re-watching it, I did feel like the cook is explicit in how she misses being in prison for how free she felt in that. And it did feel like she was essentially using this as a launch pad to get out of this nine-to-five job she clearly hates to go back <laughs> to a life in prison she seemed to prefer much more. It's almost like she's using her, and the waitress gets her revenge, wh- whether it's wanted or not. And by the end of it, she you can see on her face, she's shocked by what happened. It's not a simple hollywood star revenge of... Oh, yeah, that's done. Let's go have some dinner.
0: Which I think they would totally ruin if they didn't in English mm. translation of this film. You know, you mentioned that concept earlier, and I think that would get that would get screwed up in this story. She she is just as much a victim. In fact, she's more of a victim in this story because she has been the victim her whole life. You know, that that the. The this gangster has ruined her family, caused her father's suicide, um, you know, pushed her out of town. She's set up here. So that was all being the victim. And then when he comes, he's an asshole. She's the victim. And then the chef is the one who poisons the food and ultimately stabs the guy while she's saying, no, don't do this. And she tries to stop him from eating the food. And he's a dick when she's trying
1: to save his life. I suppose at that point, what could she do? Just say like, no, don't eat that. There's rat poison in there. Oh, she was trying to poison you. I'm sorry. But yeah, he, there's really no reason for him to even as she's taking away the plate. There's no reason for him to be so forceful and horrendous to her. Now, the the one thing I will
0: say about this one, which I, I found a little strange, mm. because it, up to this point, there's been no establishment of where we are. It is a, a Spanish language film. But there is a reference in this one to the FBI, and my question was you know when the when the when the police show up at the end and it is clearly marked policia, why was there a reference to an American organization? you know, and my my girlfriend's theory was it could be in the translation, it could be in just hyperbole, and that's something that can be used universally
1: that's recognized., uh, any thoughts on that? I think that would be a translation thing because I don't know about what your translation is like compared to mine. But in the third segment, there's the lead of that lets out an insult to the other character, which is he calls him a chav, which is I don't know if you got that, but that's no, no, that's very much a British slang for a typical kind of youth or type of person so i wonder if that was an alteration because it was also different insults he slung on the trailer compared on the same disc as the film it was different insults on these two different things which occurred to it of the same scene so i do think that's just a translation mix up
0: yeah and i did notice some translation errors i mean it's been ages since i've taken spanish um, but I did notice a couple of translations, of, as particularly where a, uh, a, a swear word was used and was not translated in the subtitles the same way as I know that word is used. <laughs> uh, well, let's go ahead and talk about the third segment since you brought it up. This one is called El Mos Fuerte. Um, which is a lot of comparisons the critics made between it and Steven Spielberg's um, duel because you have a driver who is kind of an asshole and gets his comeuppance. And this one I, I started an element of predictability to some of the short movies mm. where... When our, our main driver that we're following, you know, is so rude to the other driver, my first thought was, Well, his car is going to break down and he's going to encounter this
1: guy again. And sure enough, that's what <laughs> happens. <laughs> yeah, you don't exactly need a crystal ball to see where this one's going. It I mean, it all comes down to that thing that temptation you get when you're driving to just let loose your frustrations with others on the road. Hopefully, Don't let loose in as bad a way as he did, but its it feels like it takes a simple wanting to vent yourself and just expounds on, yeah, if you do that, this is what's going to happen in the worst possible way. Now, I, on this one, I started
0: writing down kind of the themes that I was picking up. For some reason, I didn't do that on the first couple. Mm. Um, but at, at first, I wrote down that the theme of this one was consequences of actions. You know, that he uh, was a jerk to this other driver, and now he's kind of getting his comeuppance. But before all is said and done, we end up with two separate cars down a, uh embankment. We end up with with both men dead. and. It's almost as if both men are being undone by their own hubris here.
1: Uh, As if their need to have their revenge against each other has pretty much screwed them over in the end. Because they both had times when they could have just gone on their way, left it be, but they chose to try and exact their revenge. They chose to be so destructive and look where it got them. Right. And And there are
0: other choices in this short that I, I have to admit I don't quite understand. For instance, when our our aggressive jerk protagonist that we're following, um, when the other guy comes up and is starting to get violent and is smashing the the window and that kind of stuff, mm. he pulls out his phone and calls the police, and we hear the conversation with the police, and then we hear that the phone is still ringing,
1: and he never actually called the police. Why didn't he call the police? Only thing I can think of is the shock of what the guy is doing cuz he literally pisses and shits on right in front of him and which we we
0: have to I don't know about you and maybe maybe this goes too far into a conversation but I'm amazed at his ability to take a shit and then piss separately.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um... <laughs> I suppose it's just reworked for comedic effect. Oh yeah. Also, how solid was that shit? It, it's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like got a diet ball or something. <laughs> yeah, those. That's that guy eats
0: some fiber. <laughs> yeah, but I just I couldn't get
1: why he didn't actually call the police. No, it does seem like it because they could have had the police coming at the end when it's all too late and. No, that is a good point. It's... Mm. The the other thing, I mean, you mentioned the, the,
0: the shit and piss, which you can't, you have to laugh at that, at that point. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's gotten just absolutely into the realm of absurdity. And yet, th- this one is one of the more violent, physically... Until the end, one of the more violent ones, because you have the guy hanging, you have the, I mean, you, you, as you said, the shitting and pissing and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's one of the more comedic ones. Like, when the protagonist guy's car goes over the embankment, and there's a pause, and you hear, recalculando. <laughs> oh, it was yeah. like, that, it's such, and the timing of it is so brilliant. But then the last line of this short, where, oh, looks like it was a crime of passion? Like, that's, and, and at the same time, isn't it? Because isn't that need for revenge, if we go with the revenge angle rather than the justice mm. angle, which this one definitely is both men trying to get revenge,
1: isn't revenge a form of passion? There is the thin line between love and hate. It's like when you have little boys who pick on girls in their class and it's justified as a sign of affection. It's get misconstrued a lot. and Yeah.
0: So that one that one was brilliant. Um, just to make sure we're getting on all of them, let's talk about the next one. So the next one, I had the theme as shitty people get shit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this one is called uh, a Little Bomb or Bombita, uh, where we have a demolitions expert who uh, starts facing off with a bureaucracy after his car is towed. Uh, possibly mistakenly, possibly not mistakenly, uh, we never get to see the curve to see whether or not it was actually yellow and he was a jerk or whether he was right and it was unmarked and there's some like extortion and corruption
1: going on in the system. That's true. It keeps us in the dark. And the question is, was he robbed by a corporation who are just likely making quotas at the expense of the citizens? Or is he just not seeing that he was in the wrong, and he's so intent on proving himself right that he's destroying everything, like like social media, to be honest. He can't leave it be and just move on. He has to prove himself right, no matter how detrimental it is to everything.
0: Well, his wife even says to him at one point, you blame society for everything. He never takes responsibility for himself. He could have made a mistake and just been like, yes, this sucks. Here's the money. I'm going to move on with my life. But he gets so absorbed, especially his line about um, people who work for criminals are criminals, too. So he really is out for what he
1: thinks is justice. Oh, yeah. Watching it this time, I saw parallels with this film and Joker to give a more recent example which i still
0: have not seen
1: (laughs) um i won't give my thoughts but (laughs) but i just thought it was how interesting that disc guy was expected to roll over as he he feels so screwed over by an unjust society the issues pile up on top of him until he can't take it and it leads him to commit uh how do i okay you haven't seen it um it leads him to committing an act which he's looked up to by many and praised for and is horrified by others. It feels like it was Joker before Joker existed.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, I, the, the reason I wrote down my theme being shitty people get shit is because he, he it's almost karmic. At the beginning of the, the thing, when he goes into the bakery to get the cake, he's kind of a jerk to the person there. And oh, he comes yeah. out... And his car is gone. And then he goes through all that ordeal, and he ends up, over this one stupid ticket, he ends up uh, um, unemployed, he ends up arrested, he ends up fired... All because of this ticket. And then when he's trying to rebuild his life and he goes for a new job interview, he's an asshole there and he comes out and his car has been towed again. So there's, yes, maybe he was not parking in the right spot. Maybe he was parking in the right spot. But there's
1: also kind of this karmic level to it of he was shitty to other people, so he gets shit in return. That's it. As much, his frustrations can be understandable, but at the same time, there's no reason for him to be su- such a dick to others. Yeah. And I mean, and some of the nuances of this one I really
0: liked. Like when he's he's gotten his car back the first time and he's heading home, and he texts who we presume to be his wife. You know, almost there, and her response is "Don't bother." And I was like, "Wow, this is a troubled relationship." Just that text message indicates so much about the relationship going on. Because who texts somebody "Don't bother"
1: if they're not already upset with them? You, you make a good point that it's um. We presume it's his wife. Could it have been his daughter who's going through teenage frustration that, oh, I don't have a cake and my dad's not here? Because she's not exactly got a smile on her face when he comes in at the end. Oh, yeah. She pulls pulls
0: away when he tries to kiss her, which is why... I do want to ask you about the ending of this one. Mm. Uh, as you said, he commits this act. We we sh- This is one I should have seen coming because it is established before he has any of the car problems that he is an, a, an explosive expert. Uh, we see him detonating this controlled explosive uh, um, de- demolition job. Mm-hmm. And so after he gets his car back from being towed the second time and there's this great shot of him opening the trunk from inside of the trunk and he starts putting stuff inside the trunk and I went oh God, he's not. And then the little lights start to flicker and it's like, oh, he is. So I didn't predict that. As you said, he kind of gets celebrated for this ex, this act where he ends up having his car get towed again and then blows it up. But the ending of this, where his wife, who has left him, and his daughter come visit him at the prison and they have a cake with a tow truck on it, uh, <laughs> celebrating his birthday. So it's this parallelism of the birthday party at the beginning. I felt like that has to be a dream sequence. I feel like that cannot be real. There is no
1: way his wife decided to come back to him for this act of vigilante justice. There's n- surely there's no way the poli- the office the guards would let her and her daughter in just to bring a cake, a cake. Let alone applaud him
0: because they're among the 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 people
1: who are applauding applauding him in that scene. No, that's true. For all we know, maybe he wasn't praised. Maybe that's another part of his. That's all in his head. Yeah. So I think the ending is very
0: unreliable on that one, but I love it. I love the fact that, again, he doesn't spell it out to the audience. You take away what you, what you want to from this. I just I think that ending has got to be a dream sequence.
1: No, that does make a lot more sense. Um... All
0: right. So that moves us into the next one, uh, which is called La Propuesta the proposition, uh, and this one features a teenager who has conducted a hit and run, uh, coming to his parents, and his parents trying to find a way for him to not get in trouble over it, uh, which involves framing willingly framing uh, the their gardener as a scapegoat, and the escalating costs that are going throughout this one. To which I wrote down the theme is the cost of dishonesty.
1: Or the cost of not facing up to your co- consequences.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's that. I like that because I had an earlier one that is, you know, about consequences of actions, and this one is the cost of not facing those consequences. Mm. I like that a
1: lot. Oh yeah. Now it's funny that the director said that after you wrote three or four these shorts, it was only then he noticed. Oh my God, there's thematic links here, and <laughs> it wasn't all planned out. So it's funny that it turned out that way.
0: Yeah, and I, I. I, I enjoyed this one. I, I saw quite a few reviews who felt like this one was the low mark of the piece mm. uh, of the film as a whole. But I, I liked it, and I liked how things played out. And what's funny to me is that ultimately, as you said, all of these have that act of revenge or the the way the the movie description on. Um, I think IMDb or Amazon was was that each of it has a moment of perceived slight or perceived injustice that mm. pushes them into madness. And what I found interesting on this one is it's not the hit and run that's the crime that pushes the character into madness. It's when the father feels like he's being taken advantage of financially. When the cost for this cover-up are continuing to rise and he's already committed to half a million dollars for the groundskeeper he commits to half a million dollars for his lawyer and a million dollars for the prosecutor and it's thirty thousand dollars on top of that that finally pushes him over the edge and he can't accept
1: no that's it it's not the idea that you've done something bad son or that he's breaking the law anything like that which is making him pause for thought it's more money that he's going to have to spend to sweep all this under the rug. And it's upon the revelation that the sleazy lawyer is swindling him out of, I think it was a million. He said it's at that point that of course the breaking point for a rich person is their money, but it's just at that point he goes, fuck it. The deal's off son. Go face your consequences, your actions. I don't care anymore. Which
0: the son wanted to do. The son wanted to do the right thing.
1: Mm. And even then, when he's just like, all right, go face up to your consequences. He twists the knife even further, saying, I gave you the best chances you can have. And you threw them all away. It's just the money is the reason he's getting it all out there. And he's just saying, and he's just can't take anymore, really. Yeah. Um,
0: I did love, there's a shot where the the father is in the house watching the two lawyers negotiate outside, and it's autumn, and you have the fallen leaves over the yard, and the the tree is changing color, and it was like, that is a gourd. There were were little moments, I didn't mention it before, but like, the landscape in the, the second one, when the asshole driver is driving along the road, the landscape and the music are so amazing, and in this one, it's that shot of the autumn leaves that... That just, I absolutely loved.
1: Yeah, he has a wonderful eye. And I think the director worked in TV before this. This is only yeah. like, he's only done, what, two, three films? And it TV's really getting such a wonderful eye from him. It's a shame we can't get more of that in feature films.
0: Yeah. All right. And then that brings us to the last one, which is quite possibly my favorite of the bunch. I, I think this really ends on a strong note. Uh, and this one, uh, the last one is called Hasta que la muerte nos separe, which uh, is basically until death do we part, uh, which is appropriate because this is a wedding. Um, and my, my theme that I wrote down for this one, and, and correct me if you got something else, but mm-hmm. I, I got uh, weddings suck or alcohol fixes everything.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. I mean, <laughs>
0: <laughs> having been married twice before, this one struck a nerve. No, um, <laughs> the the idea behind this one is the bride they, they're at a they're at their wedding, and the bride realizes that the groom has possibly cheated on her. Uh, well, no, we'll just say has cheated on her with one of the guests in the past, and suddenly she goes freaking nuts. She goes from this very sweet bride, this almost picturesque bride, to really pulling out her claws when she finally lays into him about everything she will take from him over this. In Uh, what I think is one of the best moments of this
1: whole movie. Oh, that monologue is such a treat. I mean, uh, all her fury just comes pouring out and, oh, it's so wonderful. And even just topped by ariel that little mummy's boy of a groom whose reaction is to just vomit helplessly
0: right i mean it's like we want to hate him because he's the bad guy he cheated
1: on her and yet when she finally lays into him he throws up he can't do anything was <laughs> it don't dish it out if you can't take it thrown from back at you yeah but at that moment, part of the reason I love that moment, that,
0: that moment of conflict, um, first of all, I love the line that the cook she meets out on the rooftop tells her about, if you spend your time worrying about what other people think, you're screwed, kiddo is the way it's translated on on my version. Mm-hmm. Um, but the again, the cinematography of that shot being up on this landscape and there is a thunderstorm looming in the distance that we're getting periodic flashes of lightning from. And it's like, uh, it, it totally underscores her delivery of that speech brilliantly. And I, I keep using the word brilliant, but
1: this is a brilliant film in so many ways. And that's one of them. I just love how... Early on, the co-worker Ariel slept with. She says, oh, this party is so conventional. And then it feels like the rest of the segment is demolishing that idea. Oh, I totally didn't catch that.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, my God. So my my question is, and, and, and the real theme I got out of this, I joked about the other two, is the idea of for better or worse. Because they do end up together. And we'll get to that in a second. My question is, how many years of bad luck do you get for throwing a guest into a mirror? <laughs>
1: um i mean whatever bad luck she gets surely she can't have it as bad as the guest who's had glass shred her body right but only
0: superficial cuts we learn which you know is good but still so they do end up together the cutting of the cake moment literally had me laughing out loud for pretty much the rest of this movie when he finally gets up and goes over and picks the cake up off the floor and cuts a piece of it and starts scarfing it down and i just was rolling over
1: this it's like even with everything happening and it descending so much that's just the point he's abandons all pretense and says fuck it we are what we are and The couple reconcile. That's just a moment which leads to them reconciling in such a unique way.
0: Oh yeah, because the the audience stuck around for all of the violence but leave when the two of them practically start boning. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's the breaking point. We can we can stick it out when the bride throws a guest into a mirror. We can stick it out when the two of them are yelling at each other, but when the two of them start making out and almost
1: having sex on the dance floor, that's the that's the breach of impropriety. <laughs> In a way, that's just like films to be honest they're open about violence but when it comes to sex oh no 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 We're oh that's
0: everywhere. a good point that's a really good point
1: and if there was an american remake it would have done the exact same thing and you have to admit those two are made for each other for better or worse they definitely are which is why I wrote down for
0: better or worse is kind of the theme when I made that, when I made that realization of oh my god they're a perfect couple they're a perfectly shitty couple but they're a perfect couple it was like okay that's that's the theme because they they found somebody who they belong I mean like they they found their perfect match oh perfect yeah sure all right um anything else you want to talk about with this before we
1: move on to the end credits because we've gone a long time I mean. Whether we call it revenge or justice, I think this does what I really like from those tales in that it doesn't really end well for any of them, no. like they get their what they perceive to be their justice, their revenge, and what happens? dead um traumatized from being covered in blood as a man's been gutted like a chicken, right burnt alive perceived to be in their own little bit of happiness but let's be honest probably all in their head the wrong person gets hit on the head with a hammer and revenge just to the point it's so sad and they're essentially trapped with one another in well is that relationship going to be happy i don't know but their wedding's not exactly going to be getting replayed every year
0: Oh no, because she had them take the video so that she can show it at her next wedding and she can show it <laughs> to her kids of him broken down, crying. Oh God, she's such a bitch. <laughs> hey, better than Dora the Explorer. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's move into the end games here. First up, we have The Algorithm Says, which is a list of various movies that algorithms say you will like because you liked this movie. And I will note, um, I-, I made this mental connection when I was putting this together. But because you commented on it earlier in this episode, several of these are films that have been remade in uh, English versions. Of course. But but the the algorithms didn't suggest the remakes. It suggested the originals. So I found that interesting. So first up, The Secret in Their
1: Eyes. I've not seen that. I've been wanting to, but I know that also stars Ricardo Darin, who I think is in the fourth one. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, one interesting thing was that um, they, the director, pretty much adorned the poster with all the stars of the film, and they're essentially big, big names in in the f- for Spanish language films. Yeah, and it would have been the equivalent of one of our a film with, say, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, all our starry persons, and it's just very interesting.
0: Yeah, well, and that's part of the reason he was able to get such a big cast is because each of them only filmed for like 10 days. The shorts only, you know, it only took like 10 days to film each short. So he got a small time commitment from big names, which is impressive. Again, I cannot believe this film is
1: not wider known. Hopefully, this podcast goes away to doing that. I, well, we'll take every
0: step we can, right? All right, hey, second
1: up. Extra 10 people still good.
0: <laughs> that's right.
1: That's right. All right, second up. Uh, Amoros Peros. I know the film. I haven't seen it is that um i uh, think that's almodovar oh yeah almodovar for some reason i was thinking director of um babel and or babel oh it is uh alejandro gonzalez inarato so, yeah. yeah yeah okay i was wrong i had the wrong filmmaker okay oh. um incendies oh that's a very good one that's one i was mulling bringing onto this show Oh, okay. I will jot that because I don't know that one. I will. I, I have to admit, I don't think I've seen any of these. So That one is, go into it knowing as little as possible. It's from Denny Villeneuve, who did um, Arrival, the Blade Runner oh, yeah. sequel. A really good filmmaker. Yeah, I like Villeneuve. Mm. All right. The Invisible Guest. I've not heard of that one. Okay. The Hunt. Now, I presume you're talking about the... A 2012 film with mass mickelson rather than yes the, not this year's one um no uh i watch mass mickelson in anything he's uh, <laughs> no seriously i if no he, I'm, I'm right there with you i totally agree <laughs> if he turned around and did a remake of i don't know jack and jill i'd be there opening day he's uh he can star in bad films but he himself can do no wrong and that film is exceptional I don't even want to think about Mads Mables and Jack and Jill. <laughs> just imagine him delivering a Hannibal-like monologue in a fat suit dressed as a woman.
0: <laughs> I don't want to! No, you can't
1: make me! <laughs> all right, uh, The Handmaiden. Ooh, now that's a really... F- uh, masterpiece, I'm just going to say it, masterpiece. That should have been not gotten all the nominations in 2016. That's really good film. I have not seen that one. I've seen a lot of Chan-wook Park's films,
0: but that mm. one in particular I've not seen yet. Um, that... I don't think I will ever watch Old Boy a second time. I will say that. <laughs> well,
1: this is a film you can watch multiple times, and it does unfold so very well in repeated viewings.
0: Okay. Uh, Women on the Verge of a
1: Nervous Breakdown. I haven't actually... No, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen a lot of Almod- Almodovar films. Um He's a blind spot for me, if I'm honest. Okay. Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, that's interesting. That's in there. Um, that I, I, revenge justice.
0: I think that theme is part of what brings it in.
1: Good point. Um, I do think that's a really good film, and Al Pacino's really damn good in it, and as is John Cazale in one of his few roles, which all been nominated for Oscars. So that's good. Okay. A Separation. That is one I've had multiple recommendations on, but I've just not gotten around to seeing. Uh, uh, no, not seen it. Okay. And In the Name of the Father. No. Daniel Day-Lewis film?
0: Yeah. I thought it was a really strange inclusion, but again, it's another one that I haven't seen, so I don't know what the connection would be.
1: No. um, Not unless Daniel Day-Lewis was in a couple of these films and we hadn't noticed.
0: all right we always end with the pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie are you ready no but i'll go anyway (laughs) all right number one the opening credits feature a series of shots of animals paired with the names of the major actors of each tale when it gets to the director the image is of what animal which zifron said was chosen in part for its gaze because the job of the director is in the gaze a, a fox, B, an owl, C, a tiger, or D, a bat?
1: I think it was a fox.
0: It was a fox, absolutely.
1: Ooh, I get the uh, He also,
0: yes, I have a bell I've added since last time you were on. <laughs> uh, he also just likes foxes, so that, that also was part of the reason. Fair enough. Number two, uh, director Damien Zivron stated he does not find the label of comedy or drama appropriate for the film. What label does he apply to the movie? A, horror, B, Spiritual Coming of Age, C, Political Commentary, or D, Catastrophe? Okay, I'm interested. I'm... Catastrophe? Catastrophe is right. That's how he judges the film. (laughs) Um, Number three, director Damien Sivran originally had an idea to film each story in a unique cinemagraphic style, which was not an idea for how to film a segment. A. Filming La Propuesta in black and white. B. Filming Las Ratas in a gritty noir style. C. Filming El Mas Fuerte in 35mm with anamorphic lenses. Or D. Filming Hasta Que La Muerta Nos Separate with the video cameras present at the wedding.
1: Um, I'm sure the video camera one was a segment. Um, oh, I'm, hmm... I'm going to go for the second one, the noir
0: one. That's correct. That was not one of his presented styles, but he did have the idea of La Propuesta in black and white, uh, El Mas Fuerte in 35 millimeter with anamorphic lenses. And as you said, he was going to originally use like almost like a found footage type style with the video cameras that are already present at the wedding. <laughs> um, I think that would have been really interesting. I think it would have been a little gimmicky, and I'm glad he didn't do it, because what we end up getting is really solid filmmaking.
1: No, it probably would have looked like um, Wreck Genesis before they destroyed the video camera. Right, right. Uh, All right, last one.
0: Although the six vignettes offer no obvious crossover, there is a subtle relationship between two of the tales. What is it? A, one of the final wedding guests from Hasta Que La Muerte Nos Separe is on the airplane in Pasternak. B, the hit-and-run son from La Propuesta and the cook from Las Ratas can be seen in the prison in Bombita. C, the wedding cake from Hasta Que La Muerte Nos Separe can be seen in the bakery Simon visits in Bombita. Or D, the tow driver from El Mois Fuerte tows Simon's car in Bombita. I believe it's the wedding cake one. It is the wedding cake one. Four for four.
1: Good job. Woo! All right, man. Where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Okay. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxed at RoddersJ04. Follow me for my musings on films, trying to make myself sound funny, and pictures of my dog. I'm also <laughs> writing reviews on my site, thereviewingrodders.co.uk, and I also contribute to to flyfidelity.co.uk, zobawiddyshotgun.com and snakebite reviews.weebly.com. So check any of those out if if I haven't put you off from this episode.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know how you could do that. Um, oh, man try.
0: <laughs> this has been a this is a fantastic film. Again, I you're two for two on this show now. You've brought me two movies that I didn't know and have absolutely fallen in love with. Uh, cannot thank you enough, and I can't wait to have you back on for another one. But the standards are getting pretty high.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm worried my next one's going to... Oh, it's I'm setting myself up for a fall, so I might just get out of the way and bring in something like Batman and Robin just to cover myself. <laughs> All right, man, thank you. Thank you. So that does it for this week, but you can
0: keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Wild Tales, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook, where at Have Not Seen This podcast, or email me at have not seen this at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. What police have uncovered words can't describe it. Body parts, human skulls, and a mass graved under the crawl space of the house. You're out there listening to this. I got a message for you. I'm coming to get you. You can't run forever.
1: You're going to have to stop somewhere sometime, and when you do, I'm going to be there to put the wrath of the Lord up your ass.
0: This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to James Rodriguez for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsh, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each
1: other.